Hello, and welcome to episode 114 of Craft Cook Read Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Wednesday, April 26th, 2023. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How's it going, Courtney? Just fine on this side of the microphone. We have a lot of distractions today. My dog is, I don't know what he's doing. He's very confused about things. The construction workers are back out in front of my house. So like Mercury is moving into retrograde and Jupiter's out of whack. And I don't know. It's also been less than two weeks since we've recorded because of all the traveling. And yeah, that's part of it. And then we're both going out of town again tomorrow. So we'll see. So it could be short, but amazing. Or we'll just keep randomly chattering about stuff and it'll take a really long time and but also be amazing. So just the regular sections. Although, yes. before you dive into On the Needles, yep. you did remind me of something last week. Okay. What? Summer bingo. Yes, that's true. A month away? I'm mentioning it because if people have requests or ideas for that summer bingo chart, please feel free to hop over to our Instagram and send us a message or... If you know how to contact us, please do so because we're looking to freshen it up and dive back in in a month, which is crazy. That is completely, completely bonkers. There's going to be a lemon square on there, though. Oh, not like a literal <laughs> lemon square. That sounds good, though. I just got another batch of lemons from my neighbor. Oh. And I'm feeling all the lemon accoutrement right now. Nice. So you, something with using lemons, involving lemons. I think so. Or maybe I'll be generous and do a citrus square. (laughs) So nice of you. That would be good, though. Lots of things. All right. So, yes, we will have on the needles, on the easel, on the table, and on the nightstand. And so on the needles, what have I been doing with my time? Well, I have not been working on my grid lines by Suzanne Semmer because I was waiting on more yarn, which arrived yesterday. Hooray. So I will need to wind it up. And then I'm going to take it uh, to my knitting retreat, which is where I am going tomorrow. So that will be nice. It's going to be good. I think this the color is definitely a little bit lighter. The the main, the grayish part of the skein, definitely a little lighter. So I think it's good that I did not get too far into the second sleeve because I'm just going to alternate skeins the whole way through to try and to blend it as much as possible. And we will see what happens. That is definitely the problem with the sideways knit sweater is that you cannot (laughs) go back and reclaim yarn because of the way it's constructed. So definitely my own fault, not a fault of the pattern. I, yes, (laughs) I did not swatch and I decided "Ah, I'm sure I'll be fine, even though I don't technically have enough yarn for the size that I want to knit. Is it the same dye lot? No. Okay. I mean, yeah, because the the first three skeins I ordered maybe a year ago. Ah. So this is completely different. So that it was it was a hundred percent something that could absolutely happen, and that is the problem. The it's not a problem. It is a factor in using hand dyed yarns. And absolutely, I was prepared for it, and that is just I'm going to work with it. And uh, so yeah, so I just have the sleeve and. Uh, the collar and lots of knitting time in the next four days. So hopefully I'll have a finished object. Yeah, should be good. And I've done a little bit of work on my vanilla is the new black socks in the vintage stripe by Yarantini. I got through the heel turn. So I'm back on I'm onto the first foot, which is just knitting, knitting, knitting. I did two more knitted knockers in the Cascade Ultra Pima in chocolate. Um, So I have three total now to donate at the knitting retreat. So that's exciting. And that was something that was on my goals for the year. Pleased about that, that I did manage to get some of those done. And, you know, they're a good cause. So that'll be, that'll be good. And, you know, there may be prizes involved, a raffle for prizes if you knit some and and donate the knockers. I don't think I've worked at all on my dark academia sweater, Ah, which was kind of a bummer. The, the photo that you posted... The colors look totally different in the Instagram photo. Yeah, that might be the filter I was using because, I mean, 100% the photo that I took 
and the yarn looked different in real life. So I was trying to pick a a one that I thought more accurately represented it. And I don't know that I actually did. I might have just picked one that I thought looked nice and showed a good contrast. So it's a very and green. I think greens are hard. Getting the correct green is difficult. It is beautiful. We spent so much time talking about color choices. Yeah. And then that photo popped up. And I'm like, that's not our. It's not right. (laughs) Yeah. I'll have to have the yarn next to me when I am posting next time. I don't think I did. Mm. So that could also be it. But what I have mostly been working on is my dogwood blanket by Tin Can Knits. We have a new baby in the family, not me, a new niece. The parents are currently living in a place that does not have cold weather. (laughs) So my usual sweater didn't seem quite right. But you know, it it seemed like it just would not be at all useful. So I thought a blanket, right? Because babies, you can always lay it down, lay it down and put the baby on it. And that's super useful. So I ordered some yarn from Knit Picks. I got the Swish Worsted in Rose Heather, which is this deep, beautiful pink. Not bright, but like just dark and gorgeous. And this is a blanket that I've I've had kind of on my want to knit list for a while, but have not really been that inspired to knit because it's a it is a blanket blankets are generally annoying i mean there's people who love blankets i am not one of those people they just they take a long time it's like a scarf but worse (laughs) (laughs) takes more time i mean and i did one for my kid so that was fine i need to have a really compelling reason to knit a blanket and this this was one and it's not huge so you knit four squares so it's it's a lace pattern and the pattern looks like a dogwood blossom so a beautiful flower. So it's it's lace, but pretty simple. It's a very straightforward pattern. Like all of their patterns, it makes a ton of sense as you get into it. So you knit the same square four times and then seam it together. So I've done one of the squares and I'm maybe three quarters through the second one. So I think this will be one of my other main focuses this weekend it is lace, so it's a little tricky to do while talking in a large group, but it is small and portable because it's just each square, it's just one square and it they block out to about 20 inches wow. on every side. So, I mean, so it'll be a decent sized blanket, especially for a little baby, but you do each square one at a time. So it's not like you have a whole entire blanket sitting on your lap because it is supposed to be pretty toasty this weekend where I'm going to be. So I don't want a lot of yarn on me at once. So I think I think that'll be good. That is my plan. And I have been enjoying it, although it is not really something I definitely have to be paying a bit of attention. It's not, I can't just pick it up and start knitting. I have to actually look at the pattern and figure out what, figuring out what happens next. So, but it's, it's been enjoyable and I think it is machine washable. So that's a plus. That was, yeah, that was why I, I decided to order the yarn specifically. Most of what I have in stash for myself is not, or even if it says machine washable, it's like, eh, but is it really? So I wanted something that was definitely, you know, if it got <laughs> baby spit up on it or something, they could definitely just throw it in the laundry and not have to worry about it. So hopefully that one will get done pretty quickly as well. And that's it. Did you have any knitting or other needle stuff? No knitting, alas. However, I have been doing some, how should we call it, skill building sewing. I made a blouse that has a little button placket behind the neck. Oh, yeah. And so I piped the interfacing layer that falls underneath the collar, and I just took it right around the, the back opening, and it came out really cute, just that one section. The fabric is kind of boring because it was meant to be like a wearable muslin. When I pulled it out this morning... To tweak it a little bit, I think I'm going to shorten the sleeves. It would look better if it had maybe a little more of a peplum waist than just a straight waist or like a curved hem, but I don't have enough fabric, excess fabric for that. So I'm playing with it, but I did put together a new wool sweatshirt from this fabric that I had in my closet. And I made a linden sweatshirt from Grainline, which came together so incredibly fast that it made my head spin. I think I had from cutting the fabric to made sweatshirt in under two hours. Wow. It came together super fast. It's a raglan sleeve 
So there's minimal seams. The hardest part was getting the stretch knit collar to be perfect. And it has a tiny little flaw, but it might be a little bit oversized, but I'm leaving it for now. It was a good test run on that pattern. Such a fast pattern if anybody is looking for a a really useful sweatshirt. And then in the studio, I have been working on two pretty big pieces. One is a still life with lilies. I bought the lilies the last time we recorded. They were still pretty tight. They hadn't opened up at all. And so I got right into the painting and then I got so far along and I was really happy with it and I left them alone. And then the next day when when I went in, I felt like there were two major problems. The background was too dark and the lilies had opened up overnight and they were so much more interesting with their really dark stamens. And so now I'm kind of frustrated with myself because I want to redo the whole thing. The other piece that I'm working on is a submission for a show up in Seattle called Pulp Fiction. This is a show being curated by the Sugarwall Gallery. This was brought to my attention from my accountability partner, Daria, who is on Instagram. Their show is Works on Paper that has a narrative. And so I was thinking, I I always paint on paper, so that part's easy, but the narrative part... I thought I was going to bring in a typewriter, and then I was looking at there needed to be a bird in it, of course, and I thought there were going to be field guides for the sort of paper reference, but in the end, it is this bird, which is a ruff, and that's kind of a waiting bird, and I really like the plumage on this bird, and He or she has a fair bit of attitude and there's all of these wildflowers in it. And I'm really, really, really happy with it, except that there's something a little off about the typewriter. And so when I went in to check on it today, I was feeling like I might need to redo this, which is a huge amount of work. It's Mm. basically like ripping apart a sweater. Mm. (laughs) And the only consolation is that that one is not huge. It's maybe eight by 10. My palette is totally set up and ready to go if I decide to redo it, but we're headed out of town and I'm, I need to give myself a little bit of grace in this moment because if you'll recall back when I was setting ideas and goals, I wanted to give myself space to take time away from the studio and still have enough work for a show in November. And so that's what's happening right now. I recognize that this is a busy season of life, but really I just want to be making my art. And that's a hard place to be. The other thing that when I was looking at my goals and plans, I had this idea to do like a portrait a month I don't know if you'll recall that. Mm -hmm. It's not working. Mm -hmm. So I'm letting go of it. I don't know what will, I don't know what will fill the void. It feels like sewing is kind of filling the void and that's okay. I just, I don't want to feel guilty about it. It's just not something that's serving my art practice right now. I really need to figure out this submission and then I still have so many other still lives that I want to be working on. I was on a major hunt for cherry blossoms this past week. I almost asked if I could come clip some <laughs> from your tree. They're, they're, they weren't available anywhere. And when I asked one of the florists in Noe Valley, she said that because the winds were so high that it had mm. a really short season. And so I have been walking around and taking pictures of other people's cherry blossom trees. And I'm going to imagine it into a still life. I'm, I can live with that, I think. So okay. that's the one that I really just wanted to paint, but it'll, it'll happen. I mean, a photo is more portable and lasts longer. For sure. And I'm headed back out of town. Yeah. So I don't want to cut something. I don't like to waste anything. So right. Maybe when I come back, though, I'll splurge and get some lilac for a still life because oh, nice. yeah. I love a lilac. We'll see. I'll let you know. 
Okay. On the table, the preserved lemon adventures continue. Yay. It's very fun. I don't know exactly what I was thinking I would do with them. That was never part of my imagining, just that I would use them. I think I thought I would find more actual recipes that, I don't know, focused on them or used them, and, and that just wasn't really happening. So I was kind of inspired by you, how you were, the first time you were talking about it, you were just throwing it into stuff. And so that's <laughs> kind of what I've been doing. I made green beans as a side dish the other night, and I thought, huh, how about some preserved lemon in here? And it was delicious. And I think I also threw some almond slices in there as well. And it was great. And then I made a pasta primavera Monday night because Monday is pasta night. And super simple. And I thought, huh, what if I throw some preserved lemon in here? And it was delicious. So that's been fun. I've been enjoying that. Just, you know. Yeah, it's just thinking. a little flavor boost yeah. type thing. Exactly. So that has been good. And then I've done some actual recipes, mostly side dishes. Do you remember when we reviewed the Smitten Kitchen Keepers and there were a bunch of recipes that we thought sounded really good, but was very springtime. Springtime. Mm -hmm. It's springtime. (laughs) So I made the sesame asparagus and carrot chop, which is also kind of a transitional season recipe, I think is, I don't know if that's how she described it, but that's what she, that's what she meant to say. And I had randomly picked out both asparagus and carrots in my produce box. So I knew that was happening. They're just raw. You slice them up at an angle so that they're, they look pretty and they're easy to eat. And then you make a little sauce of rice vinegar and a little bit of mayonnaise. So it's not a heavy mayonnaise sauce and some sriracha and soy sauce and sesame oil, and then mix that on them. Throw in some avocado as well. That adds a little bit more creaminess and some sesame seeds. Yum. And it was delicious and different um, with the the spiciness and the, the Asian flavors. So that was that was delicious and fun. And then I have made these sweet Korean lentils before. I can't remember if I talked about them. And I don't remember them loving them as much as we did this time. So I'm going to talk about them. Maybe again. maybe I'm talking about them again. I don't know. I don't... I f- it I feels don't, like the first time. I like lentils and I don't recall. Okay. So tell tell me more. So, yeah. so these are from a vegan website called It Doesn't Taste Like Chicken. And someone, uh, another podcaster, Imagine Landscapes, had recommended these. So it's a basic lent... I mean, it's lentils, but you saute an onion first and then you put the lentils in and you mix a sauce of soy sauce, brown sugar, garlic, sesame oil red pepper flakes, and ginger. There's water in there as well to make up the rest of the liquid that you need. And so you cook the lentils in that. So the sauce is already flavored. So then your lentils are flavored. Lentils need all the help they can get. Yeah. This was a great way of doing it. So it was, you know, that sweet and savory and a little bit of spicy too. It was just a really nice, nice way to do it. The cooking time didn't seem quite long enough to me, but I think it was because we were using the red lentils. So it didn't take long. So mine, I might have overcooked them. They were a little mushy, but they were really delicious. Husband was very impressed by the the flavor and definitely wanted to have those again. So put those on repeat. Yeah. And I mean, it's all basic pantry ingredients that you would probably have. There's nothing, nothing very unusual in there. So that was good. And then <laughs> another favorite, a Julia Tertian recipe. I am on her newsletter now. And so I get to see what the menus are for the cooking classes that she has every Sunday. Uh, and I had done one of these last fall. Did it? Yeah, because it involved pumpkins. So it was last fall. That was really fun. And I, you know, haven't gotten back to, to watching another one. The one. She had one this upcoming, this, this upcoming, this past Sunday that was uh, vegetarian and gluten free. So I thought, well, maybe I should check this out. It sounded really good. And so I got the, cl- I wasn't able to watch the class, but you get access to the video for at least a while. I'm not sure if it's forever, just a while. Plus you get all the menus. So the main reason I wanted it was for the the main dish that I'm going to talk about, but it does also come with a cucumber gin spritzer, which I also want to try because that sounds delicious. She always has a cocktail and then a simple green salad, which whatever, and then a pear and cherry crisp. And so I do also want to try that at some point. I really like her classes. This one especially was very, very simple. She does it all live. 
in 90 minutes. So you can make the whole meal, you know, in that amount of time, probably even less time. And I imagine a lot of it because this, this particular recipe was super quick and used all pantry ingredients for the most part. So it was a white bean, roasted tomato and polenta pie. So you mix the roasted tomatoes and the white beans and the recipe calls for canned beans. I used my Rancho Gordo because I had them. So that obviously took longer because I had to cook them, but that was easy. I did that in the instant pot. So you mix the beans and the tomatoes and you roast them for about 20 minutes with olive oil and salt and pepper and oregano. And then you top it with olives and feta cheese. And then you slice one of the tubes of pre-cooked polenta and put that on top, put it back in the oven for another 20 minutes. It was super flavorful, very easy. I prepped everything so that my husband could finish it because I was at a track meet and he did very well. Yeah. The, we have to say <laughs> in case people are new that it's cooking is not his forte. It's... It is not. No, he is amazing at many things, but cooking is not one of them. But he did feel that he could have, this is something that he could have actually prepped on his own. And it was a hundred percent true. I mean, you open a can of beans, you rinse it. He can do that. I've seen him do that. He eats beans a lot because he's a vegetarian. Mix it with the tomatoes. He could do that. Cook it. He could do that. He, I mean, he managed the oven turning on and putting it in the oven. Honestly, I did like open the olives and drain them and put them in a bowl and top it with the feta cheese. So all he had to do was like grab the bowl and put it on top <laughs> because a hundred percent he could do it all on his own. He just, I don't know. He panics. <laughs> he panics. I was just like, let me just, it's going to be so simple for you. Yes. And he did great. Yeah. And it was really good. Just the flavors all melted together. And I mean, they're classic flavors, right? So, so it was delicious. I love polenta. That's something I haven't made in a while. Yeah. And it's not trying to be real polenta. Right. It is a hundred. It's, you know, it's, it's like a, shortcut polenta, like a cobbler sort of thing or a pot pie. Right. Except most of those I can't do because it needs to be gluten-free unless I use a gluten-free crust or whatever. So this is something that is inherently gluten-free and right, just an easy way to do it. And yeah, I mean, and it's polenta, so it's delicious, even if you aren't trying to be gluten-free and much easier. I mean, not much easier. You have to open the package and slice mm -hmm. it, which is slightly easier than trying to, to make a, a biscuit or cobbler toppling. So, so that was really good. And I was very pleased. And that's, that's all my delicious on the table stuff. Well, it's like five times more than what I cooked for new stuff. I mean, we still cooked, but we did a lot of standbys and favorites. But the one new, it was an entire meal of new things, was a Greek meatball recipe that had sweet potato oven fries on the side and mm -hmm. like an olive crushed olive dressing for it and you put it all on top of a pita and it's this delicious assortment and this was from half-baked harvest the greek meatballs hers call for lamb and i did a mix of ground meat because that worked for what i had in the fridge i think i could have used more garlic in them she has you roast garlic on the once the meatballs are made then you roast garlic on the cookie sheet while the meatballs are baking mm. and you use that in the next components and i wish that i had had more garlic flavor injected into the meatball maybe even garlic powder would have been enough of a boost i made my standby tzatziki sauce for this because hers her recipe called for store-bought, and I think it's pretty easy to make. But the olive dressing that was just so extra great had the roasted garlic, it had roasted lemons, and I used a fresh le lemon even though I have lots and lots of fermented lemon in my fridge. And then the oven fries... What I did differently with the oven fries was that I dusted them with a little potato starch. They felt a little bit damp before, you know, I just felt like adding olive oil to that was going to make them even soggier. So I got them as dry as I could, dusted them with the potato starch, and then did the seasoning with a little bit of olive oil and some seasoned salt and pepper. And they came out great. This is the first time that I've had good texture on an oven mm. fry. And so I think that 
in the future, I will use that technique for oven fries. It just made for such a crispy brown outside. It worked awesome. And then the leftovers were really good too. Like they heated up beautifully. And oh, wow. So that was my, my one new night of recipes. You know, it was a couple different components and then the meatballs. And now I'm off again. So I'm not going to cook for like four days. And so next week will be pretty quiet too, I imagine. So that's it. That's been my table. We're eating, I promise you, just not new stuff. You need a bingo chart to get you inspired <laughs> is what you need. I just need time well, because yeah. I really want to make candied lemon peel. I have mm. all these lemons. Okay. Oh, yeah. I want to make lemon curd. Mm. I want to make maybe some kind of like, I don't know, lemon marmal. Do they do? Is that? No. I don't know what else. I'll think about it. Oh, maybe lemon, lemon ice bars. cream. Oh, lemon bars. Lemon bars or the citrus pie bars. We love yep. those. Lemon ice cream, maybe. I don't know. I'm not eating that much sugar, but I'm so happy to experiment with different things. Cool. On the nightstand, <coughs> we have so many books in common now. We have entered some sort of twilight zone of reading. Totally. It's weird. It's well, I think it's delightful was the word I was going to use. but Weird is always delightful in my book. Oh, that's fair. So my first two are the ones that Courtney talked about last episode. The first being, I have some questions for you by Rebecca Mackay, who A plus job to their marketing team, because I know so many people that are reading that book right now, and it just came out. So we all must have read the same articles and got it at the library. It, it might be that our library actually purchased enough copies too. Well, these are people from other oh, okay. libraries too, not just in in the San city. Francisco. Yeah, mm -hmm. outside of the city as well. So well done. Yeah. So this is the story of Bodie, who is film professor and podcaster in LA and gets invited to come back to her high school boarding school as a teacher for a mini session to teach podcasting. And she suggests the kids look into doing episodes about some event that happened at the school. And one of the kids chooses the murder of one of Bodhi's classmates, which opens up more issues and questions. Someone was convicted of the crime, but there were always questions. So they start looking into it again. And I want to say shenanigans ensue, but that's not really the phrase I want. I need a good phrase for the uh, for a crime, for my crime book. <laughs> what happens? Well, I was going to say... That we really should start a body count for the books that we read. Mine is, I, I have I have two books with no body. Well, no, that one does, but it's not like a bad body count. I have one book that has no body count. And in general, I felt happier this this <laughs> <laughs> about what I was reading. <laughs> yeah, last last episode was, was a depressing batch of books. But no, this one was good. I had said last time that I was enjoying it. I continue to enjoy it. The book I had read right before, Edie Richter is Not Alone. Which I, found, which I just finished and I'm about to. <laughs> which you'll be hearing about again. It felt like there were a lot of similarities that hmm. I found in terms of tone, and they both use second person, and I didn't find either of the main characters terribly likable, which I don't have a problem with. It was just a really interesting contrast. As a book, it felt both very light and also really serious, which I thought was kind of like an a, interesting. Like a true crime podcast, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, true. Although I don't listen to them, so I can't really say. For all the for all the crime reading that I do, for all the, the detective novels that I that I do, I don't really do actual true crime. But yeah, so that was that was a, a good book and I would recommend that one. And then Galatea by Madeline Miller, which was a little teeny tiny fifty-five page palm sized with big margins. Read it in an hour, maybe little book. Her retelling of the myth of Pygmalion from Galatea's point of view. Yeah, that was a dark little <laughs> little Gem. bit of time. <laughs> but beautiful. She has a she does make all these little points of view very interesting and 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 fresh and and relevant also, I think. I think what was most interesting for me about that, not most, 
I loved her afterward because mm-hmm. for me, it was more of a glimpse into her creative process as she was working on other sort of bigger projects. She just couldn't get this voice out of her head. That's relatable. <laughs> so I, I loved that afterward. And I mean, 45 minutes of your life with a great cup of coffee and that little book. Yeah. What a good escape. All true. So for new books, I am continuing on my Kinsey Milhone mission. C is for Corpse by Sue Grafton. I listened to it. I just, you know, you listen to one and then the library has the next one waiting. I mean, what can you do? Kinsey is still 32. She's still twice divorced, ex-cop, currently working as a private detective. We are about two months out from the previous book. So we're still in still in 1982, I guess. <laughs> I'm going to keep doing the time count because I'm really interested to see how much actual time passes when it's been, what, like 40 years for this series, right. right? So anyway, so this one, she is still doing a lot of physical therapy to recover from the events of the previous book. And she meets this kid, he's about 23, and he was in a really horrible car accident. So he is also doing physical therapy. But part of what happened is he got a concussion and he has memory issues. And they start chatting and he lets her, he tells her that he would like to hire her because he thinks that someone was trying to kill him. Not that wasn't just a car accident. Someone ran him off the road and he knew something, but he can't remember what it, what it is. And can she look into it? And so again, shenanigans ensue. Off to the races. Oh, I like off to the races. Off to the races. All right. And then, so then we're off to the races. It's a Sue Grafton. It is solid. She's getting a little little sassier, I would say, now that she's she's hitting her writerly groove, book three. And it, it is very interesting. Uh, there's a lot of kind of similar problems in being a woman in a male-dominated profession that come up, but the writing feels perfectly modern and of the time. There's, she's not putting up with a lot of malarkey, I guess I could say, which I just found kind of surprising. So well done, Sue Grafton. And then I listened to The Jane Austen Society by Natalie Jenner. So this was the first book in, I don't know if it's a duo or sort of interrelated books. I had read The Bloomsbury Girls previously, and I really enjoyed that. I did not like this one as much. So it is rural England, right after World War II, a group of people in a town where Jane Austen lived are banding together to try and raise money to buy a cottage where she lived and set up a little museum. Jane Austen was kind of only becoming well-known at that point, and there wasn't a lot of thought that people would be interested in something like that. So as a, a bit of historical fiction, it was interesting because I think now we just think, oh, Jane Austen, she's famous. Obviously, someone would pay millions of pounds to collect her memorabilia yeah, and build exactly. a museum. Yeah, and that just wasn't the case. There was a lot of characters, and this one felt a little more sentimental than the other one, and more sentimental than than I enjoy. Overly emotional in the writing, I think. It wasn't making me feel connected to the to the people, but that's just me. It was just, just overdone. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. I don't. Yeah, they weren't. They weren't feeling inappropriately emotional, but the writing was a little bit too much for my taste. But as I said, I really enjoyed her second one. And I'm on, the second one, I think, was maybe more an original story. I think this one, she was trying to, you know, mush stuff in there and make it interesting. And that's my take on that. But then I finally got to a book where no one dies. Well, they're already dead when it starts. But <laughs> it's light. It's fluffy. It's romance. It's To Love and to Loathe by Martha Waters. So this is the second in a series. But as with most romances, it you don't actually have to read them in order if you don't want to. Jeremy is the Marcus of Willingham, and he is kind of known as a ladies' man. He was a second son who inherited unexpectedly, so he's just been, you know, spending his money and living his best life. But apparently his most recent romance, he did not handle the breakup very well, and she said some very harsh words about his performance on the way out the door. So he's a little bit worried. So he goes to talk to Diana Lady Templeton, who is the younger sister of a friend of his. And they've always not gotten along very well, but in that way that everyone around them realizes means that they actually like each other. They can't be in the same room without sparring. But So Diana is a widow, and it's been a few years that she's been widowed. She had a much older husband. And Jeremy thinks that she will be honest with him. So he goes to her with a proposition. 
we'll have a little affair. You can give me some notes. <laughs> and then it will sing like people will know that we have had this affair, even though we'll be very discreet. Then eligible men who might be interested in you will know that you are interested in having other affairs discreetly, of course, and you won't have to chase them around. They'll be able to come to you. And she thinks, okay, this makes sense. You're not going to believe the synchronicity here because I just watched Easy A last night. (laughs) (laughs) And for those of you who haven't seen that, that's a modern retelling of Scarlet Letter with Emma Stone in high school. And she does the same thing. Like she says to a kid, that she'll vouch for him, if you will. Ah. And then it it gets very out of hand. So tell me, does this get very out of hand? A little bit. Shenanigans definitely ensue. <laughs> it was adorable. It, she does such a nice job of making her characters very modern. And even though they're in this, uh, what, like the 1814 situation. It's just delightful. I mean, I I do have kind of issues about the whole enemies to lovers trope in terms of, well, he's just pulling your pigtails because he likes you. Like, no, that's not how it works. Learn to be honest with your emotions. To be fair, they both, you know, she is is snipping at him as much as he's snipping at her. So they are <laughs> both having problems dealing with their emotions. But it was it was just delightful and funny and yeah, just a good romp. And then finally, Trespasses by Louise Kennedy. Yay! This was this was one of my Irish books from my book club that I am in. Um, this is also a Women's Prize long list nominee. So, so I've had it sitting on my bookshelf for a while. And then Courtney got it out of the library. I said, let me know when you start reading it so I can read it. Sunday night, <laughs> Sunday afternoon, she texted me. Hey, can you finish this by Wednesday? You're a fast reader. I am. But yeah, I was a little worried. Luckily, I had a track meet yesterday. So I had a lot of sitting around and I got it done. And my kid broke the school record in the 400. Thank you very much. Wow. He was very excited. Anyway, Trespasses by Louise Kennedy. It's less than 300 pages, which is why I was pretty confident you could do it. Yeah. Do you want to do the summary? Because I've been talking for a while. Um, No, go ahead. You're really good at that. (laughs) So it takes place in more or less Belfast, little town, like kind of a suburb, 1975, Northern Ireland, the Troubles. Kushla is uh, Catholic. She's about 24. Her family owns a pub. She's working as an elementary school teacher. Her mom is an alcoholic, and then, you know, also the troubles. She ends up having a romance with a much older Protestant lawyer that kind of knows her family, and there's other things going on. There's a a local family that's having problems that she becomes involved with. There's just her family relationships, her mom and her brother not getting along, and there's so many threads that all weave together in this story and and she is the main main focus i would say i i felt like for me the book was very much her her family her students family through like the first 3 quarters of it and the troubles were happening on the periphery i don't think she felt like she was going to be so so impacted by what was going on i mean people who they knew were being impacted, but I think she thought herself protected from that for some reason, until all of a sudden they were very much not in the periphery. You know, like that acceleration was kind of profound because I didn't see it coming and the connections and the, and it's partly because my history of the troubles is not that deep. So I didn't know that they were maybe surveilling certain people. Mm. And I, I didn't, I don't, I still don't understand the religious clashes and, and how people could tell like the school uniform, that type of thing gave away little pieces of context that maybe were a little out of my 
purview because I, I don't know my history of the Troubles that well. I thought she was a super compelling character. She was very much 24. Oh, yeah, You know, for sure. like grown up, but still living with her mom and torn between helping out at the family pub and and then being a good teacher and being there for her students and what is what's helping her students too much and then dealing with the administration at the school. Super creepy. Yeah. So I read at night and I try not to have any devices on my nightstand or anything, but they kept referring to this baby sham fawn in the in the family pub. And they mentioned it three times. I am a kind of a visual person and I kept wondering, oh, I, I need to look that up tomorrow. So at two o'clock this morning when I finished <laughs> the book, I looked up baby sham fawn and was like, what? <laughs> it's this weird little fawn. Like that a figurine is, thing? Uh-huh. Oh, okay. That was an icon for this, I think it's a champagne. Oh. Like this okay. bubbly. I don't know. If, I can't imagine it was very good. But what do I know? Oh. So I... It didn't seem like a fine champagne kind of pub. No, it did not. But it it was, I think, a symbol of her childhood that had... And then and the end over the whole span of the book. I also really struggled with the infidelity. And yeah. I think that's probably a little bit of a spoiler. No, I mean her. Yeah, but it's her, in the her boyfriend jacket. is is also married. Besides being Protestant and twice her age, and <laughs> there are many problems with him as a suitable partner. Right, and I kept wondering why is he just a philanderer, or was there? Yes, yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> the answer was. to that is yes. Uh, and that was so heartbreaking. I just hate that so much. But anyway. On the whole, I really liked the book, Infidelity Aside, and it does make me feel like I need to do more work reading about the history of the Troubles. Yeah, I think for me, actually, it felt like such almost background noise, like every interaction that she had with someone was sort of affected by the political situation, mm. part because of you know where they were living. So I think for me, the escalation was surprising because it felt like it should have been obvious. I mean, it's a book set in the Troubles, and it's it's not a light book. Clearly, something is going to happen, but it was just kind of it, it, going along, going along. It and, was surprising. Yeah, and it, it definitely it definitely was. But yeah, and I really uh, the characters I thought were all really interesting and relatable. Yeah, she and I was... felt like there were there were no nobody was perfect. They were they were all really very human. I yeah. Think. And she was very realistically 24, 25. Yeah. Good read though. Yeah. And so that was else you have? Yeah. That was Trespasses by Louise Kennedy and it is on the Women's Prize long list. I also read Edie Richter is Not Alone by Rebecca Handler who is a San Franciscan. We had such a good book club talk. It was super fun and then the author came for the second half of the meeting. Oh my gosh. To talk to us about it. And she was delightful. And I felt like her and I just had, were totally in sync about what she wanted from the book and what her goals were. And like, I got her. We got each <laughs> I'm glad. Because some people in my group did not enjoy the book as much as I did, which is totally fine and made for a very interesting discussion. But did she hear that? No, that oh. was why we had her come uh, for the second half. That makes me uncomfortable on her behalf. So, brief recap, Monica talked about it last week. This is Edie and her husband, Oren. We follow them from college in Boston to San Francisco, where Edie is from, her city of origin, and then all the way to Perth, Australia, which is where her husband has procured a new job in his oil sector. Edie is very weird. <laughs> I mean that in a good way, because I can get behind weird. She is the kind of character like Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine. To me, she feels incredibly socially awkward. She perceives the world in her own way. It is maybe not a normative way, and that's okay. But it makes for really difficult interpersonal relationships. I think the key pieces of the book are her relationship with her husband, which is really interesting because they fit, they sort of work until maybe they don't. 
yeah, you you can never really tell. You're never really fully confident yeah. in them. Well, and we're seeing her at a moment of the majority of the book, she's in crisis. Right. So you aren't maybe seeing them right. or her at her best. The mid portion of the book, when she's in San Francisco, she is not really nursing her father, but she's spending time with her father who is in decline from dementia. That is a particularly tricky thing right now because I have a father-in-law who is in that state and it is excruciating because you never know who you're going to get when you visit that person. And so my heart was broken a little bit through a good portion of it when she's losing. I mean, the thing about dementia is you're losing that person while they're still alive. They're losing their memories. They might not recognize you. They've lost nearly all of their abilities and you're constantly letting go of some other piece. And so her unraveling was spot on to me. And after her father passes, they immediately depart to Perth and she is really struggling. And that is, I mean, the whole ending of the book is her grasping, her trying different coping mechanisms, and it is... They're not all terribly successful. (laughs) No, some of them are kind of funny. It's not an easy experience for her. I'm curious what the author had to share about the ending. I think that symbolically, it's interesting that they literally went to the ends of the earth, where her husband thought, oh, this is going to be a change of pace for her. Like like going that distance was going to make it easier for her to heal. So what she said about that, she said, to be fair, I picked San Francisco and Perth because I've lived in both of those places. Okay. So it was really not any more complicated than that. She did say that Perth is a really interesting city because it is a city in the middle of nowhere. It is like the most isolated large city in the in the yeah, world. Yeah. So it's, and it's right on the ocean, you know, it's, it's on the water. So there's, as a place for grieving... It is kind of good and bad mm. and just felt very remote. Yeah. And it it felt to her like it could be a good place. Yeah. And and there was a lot of a lot of things for her to work with there. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah. And there are a lot of possums that you have to deal with when you live there. It was an interesting discussion and you know, a lot of it she had drawn from personal experience, but some parts were just completely made up. Yeah, it was it was fun to to talk to her about it. She has a new book coming out as well, or she's working on it on the second Super. one. Super. So oh. I'll look for that. Yeah. Okay, I have two more for you. My sister, the serial killer, by Oyin Kan Braithwaite. This is a slimmer novel. It takes place in Nigeria, and we have two sisters, Koreti and Ayula. Koreti is the narrator, and she is a nurse in a hospital, and she is kind of, I don't know if in love, but she's in longing for the doctor, the chief doctor in her hospital. And she's got a patient who's in a coma and she tells the patient in a coma everything. Like she goes in and sits with him and talks and he is an older man with a family and a wife, but they never come in. And so she's in there unburdening herself of her sister's these stories of her sister who is literally killing the the men that she's dating. Oh, okay. And she's calling Coretti in the middle of the night to come and help her dump the body. It is a dark romp. (laughs) I don't know of a good adjective for that. And I think what was surprising, which is not a spoiler... But halfway, three quarters of the way into the book, we learn that the sister, Ayula, is like 14. What? Oh my gosh. We have our hands full. Wow. Yeah. Okay, then. I think that it is a really interesting portrait of sisterhood. It is (laughs) also what you're willing to do for your sister. Yeah, I was going to say I like my sister, but would I help her dump a body? I mean, maybe it depends on the body. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> the parents and the just the all the other voices into it, I really just feel for Coretti through the whole thing. 
It's a really slim novel. It's so worthwhile. It feels a little bit far-fetched, especially when you learn that she's 14. I, I love a couple of the twists and turns, and I hope you take a minute to find this one and, and give it a read. It was good. And then lastly, one of the cousins recommended a book called Girls They Write Songs About by Carlene Bauer. And this is about a friendship, two young women in their early 20s. They're both writers in New York City, Charlotte and Rose. They go through the gambit of trying to be these incredibly strong writers. They're writing for, I think, something like Rolling Stone, and they really want to be in the New York Times. And then they have such big, huge hopes for themselves. And then when they really sink into their lives, it goes in different directions that they had never seen coming. And they fall in and out of friendship with each other as often as they're falling in and out of partnerships. I think the crowning achievement of this novel is a really strong voice from the Charlotte character. Another super believable 24 to 34-year-old woman. Again, some very problematic for me, infidelity. I just kind of skimmed through that in this book. And it was also, there's New York City and there's some San Francisco and the sense of place. I mean, New York especially is really well depicted. The city in all of the different stages that the girls, the women go through is, I feel, true to form. Yeah, that was another great read this week. We did pretty good. And you know what I did? I returned two books to the library without reading them because oh, wow. I decided I had changed my mind. That's okay to do. There are a lot of good books in the world. I know. I feel good about it, but I don't usually do it. So I felt, felt very grown up and mature. <laughs> yeah. All right. So if you have any bingo suggestions, let us know. And otherwise, until next time, make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf, at C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.